I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Uh, Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for your word and your community. Thank you that when you redeemed us and rescued us and ransomed us, according to the New Testament, that you didn't do that by ourselves, but that you brought us into a family, into a community. You connected us to a body. And, um, Father, I pray that we could appreciate and learn to love um, that body, that church, the way that you do, um, with her flaws and her failures and her sin and her weakness, that we'd be people who um, work at really loving your girl, the church. And for some of us, that starts with even valuing ourselves and the contribution we can make to the church. And so I just ask God that you would do um, more than we could ask or imagine this morning. I pray that you'd speak through me and in spite of me. I'm so limited in my ability to communicate, um, and you are so limitless in your ability to not just instruct, but apply your words to the heart to everyone who's here. And I ask you to do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. Um, if you guys are new, welcome. Uh, my name is Andy, one of the pastors here at Restored. And um, if you are new, it's kind of fun because it's a we're just starting a new series called Renew, all right? So uh, a lot going on, but we're starting a new teaching series today. We're doing a five-week topical series, and then um, this fall we're going to spend 20 weeks working our way through, verse by verse, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, some of the most challenging teaching on discipleship. Uh, We don't have a name for that series yet. It could be called You've Been Lied to Your Whole Life. It might be called Jesus' Masterclass. We don't know, but we are psyched about that, verse by verse, deep discipleship teaching. Uh, But before we got there, uh, what we wanted to do is before, before we get into the fall, Uh, and into our plans, is do this series called Renew. Now, the heart behind this series is to look at what it looks like to recommit our lives to Jesus and his bride, the church. Uh, In September, Jackie and I will be celebrating our 17th wedding anniversary, which is is wild, which means that um, seven years ago, uh, about seven years ago, we had our 10-year vow renewal. And uh, that was super special, and we had a little, uh, we had a ceremony. If you guys know Chris and Meryl Venons, kind of the older South African peeps, they came and officiated the ceremony, and our friend wrote a song, and he performed it, and um, it was on this, like, it was in Coronado on the, on the bay, on the bay side, not the beach side, and it's like a little secret park, and not secret, but, but kind of private, and um, secret garden, and uh, on top of that, like, all our kids were there, just kind of wild, you know, they weren't there at the, at the wedding, and, and, and they were there, and they got to celebrate with us, and the way that they could at their age, and we had dinner at, at Ophronio on the water, and there were speeches, a lot of wedding-ish stuff, and we had such a special night, we felt so celebrated, and we felt so grateful f- for one another. Uh, one of my friends was like, Andy, this was way better than my wedding, and I was like, dude, your wife is right there, <laughs> take it easy. But anyways, it was a night where we reflected and looked back at our relationship and, and, and where we started from. We got married. We were so young and immature. And we, and we got to be grateful for what God has done since then and how far he had brought us. But the other thing we did that night was we made fresh commitments to each other as we walked into the future together. Uh, the thing about vows at a vow renewal is uh, they're more realistic. They are beautiful. They are full of grace. They are much more honest than the first time around because we've gotten to know each other and ourselves better and um and so again it was just it was a time of reflection looking back at our life together thus far but a time of preparation for our life into the future And that's kind of what we're hoping this series will be for us 
a time to look back at where we've been and, and what we've been through, but then also to talk about um, where we're going next. Uh, our church is growing again, um, uh, and we're going to be presenting some new members, Lord willing, here in about five to six weeks. And so there's some exciting stuff happening after a long season of um, kind of shrinking through COVID. Um, but as we move forward, the reason we think this series is necessary now is because we're hoping to move forward as a church into the fall where, where we're together on where we're at as a church. Um, we have some big decisions to make. Um, we have Grant Michelle Clark uh, officially on the team and in San Diego. Uh, we're going to be able to work on things that we haven't had time or margin to work on for quite a few years now. Uh, but also, the other thing we want to say is, is we are at a unique time in church history where people's commitment to community and the life of a church is waning. Uh, during the pandemic, during the pandemic, thirty-five uh, percent of people uh, in America left their churches. Thirty-five percent—that's one over one in three. Um, only about half went back. Um, every pastor I know in my pretty large network of uh, pastor friends has a smaller church than they did pre-pandemic. Uh, no one knows fully why, uh, but that's happening. But when you take a look at the disagreements over things like. COVID policy and politics, and uh, we, had, we had progressives and conservatives leave our church over politics, um, or the reality that many people were being asked to work remotely moving forward, which meant to go, hey, I could live closer to my biological family and, main, and keep my job, or buy a house in a, in a, a more affordable market and, and, and keep my job. Um, on top of that, uh, they're just good old-fashioned conflicts and divisions that sinful human beings experience from time to time, and you add all that up in a two-year period, and it just was messy. And the data is showing that even those who do return to their churches are significantly less connected to the local churches than they were before. Um, you know, for example, there's some people who have never jumped back into a small group or a gospel community. I'm not talking about this church. Just in general, if church is just Sundays for you and you come every once in a while, you're going to struggle to grow. We all know the difference it makes to have people who know us kind of week in and week out what's going on in our lives. A uh, mentor of mine, John Dennert, uh, he's here. <laughs> uh, he often teaches on the principle of spiritual drifting. Spiritual drifting. And the idea is that as sinful human beings in a fallen world, without intentionality, we will always drift away from the important things towards things that are either bad for us or trivial. Like, like a boat without an engine and a direction. Like you just kind of end up wherever the water takes you. And in this world, it doesn't take you to the places you, you say you want to go. And so we don't accidentally drift towards Jesus, his people, or his purposes. And so I think right now for a lot of Christians in the West, many are drifting away from both Jesus and his community for one reason or another. Uh, an example of drifting is in a marriage. Uh, it's, it, when a couple, when a so you're in a marriage, right? And a couple is in a space where they're just letting life happen to them. Does that make sense? They're just letting life happen to them. And uh, they forget about each other. And they end up living kind of separate lives. There's never a moment where there's a big argument like, we're going to live separate lives now. But, but it kind of just organically starts to happen. Uh, you're working, going to school, raising kids. You really make time to talk to one another. You really spend quality time together, right? Uh, I forget who it is. Some Christian counselor talks about uh, being back-to-back, side-to-side, and face-to-face. Maybe uh, Will might know uh, who, who coined that. But you kind of end up doing all, like, side-to-side time. Not necessarily even back-to-back where you're fighting, but, but just side-to-side. You're just kind of business partners in a bad business of your house. And then you miss the, the face-to-face relationship time. And when that happens, it erodes trust. Absence may make the heart grow fonder, but it also makes the heart grow more suspicious. 
We trust people we see and talk things through regu with regularly. So conflicts lose the benefit of the doubt. We don't really spend quality time together, and we often only see things that frustrate us. We stop seeing what we appreciate and are grateful for, and that's when we're most at risk for things like adultery. Uh, most of the time, adultery isn't about sex. It's about someone being interested in you, uh, someone who seems easier to be with because you don't, have to have all, you don't have all the history with them. They haven't hurt you or let you down like your spouse has. And because you're at a different season of your relationship with them, they seem like an easier partner to be with. And so my point is this. As humans, we drift from what we say we prioritize. God, our closest friends, spouses, children, the work that we say matters the most to us, and God's church, God's community. And so without intentionality, drifting away is not just possible, but it's likely. Um, nothing in our world in 2022 is pushing you towards the church or the gospel. Uh, political groups and social media are tapping into your desire to belong. Uh, there are a million things that you can use to distract yourself or numb yourself before you go and, and ask people for prayer. You'd have time to, to chat to someone, and, and now you can, something can numb you, weaken your conscience, distract you. Um, the pursuit of justice or freedom, depending on your political slant or other causes, can replace the great commission of making disciples of all nations as the mission you live for instead of Jesus' mission. On top of that, um, expressive individualism is the dominant ideology of modern America, which is uh, uh, my highest value is living out my feelings, right? That doesn't go good always. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I feel a lot of things for a lot of reasons. Some of it's good. And church requires you to limit yourself and sacrifice some of what you want for the good of others you commit to, to live for something greater than yourself or your own individual happiness. So to submit to God and to the scriptures and to allow yourself to be under the authority of leaders as they teach the scriptures is like blasphemy in our culture. You're gonna let someone else tell you what's right and wrong. There's an objective, right and wrong. But here's what I want you to catch for a lot of us, people that would still identify as Christians in our society today, a lot of people are like, man, I, I love Jesus. I'm just not really a church person. You ever heard anyone talk like that? Uh, Jesus is great, just not the church. Except for Jesus died for the church and taught often about the church and started the church. And he's married to the church. Right? Imagine um, you're like my friend. Maybe we're a friend of me in this scenario. But you're like, I love you, bro. I hate Jackie. I hope she dies a painful death and that I never have to see her face again. I hope everything she ever did in her entire life gets, gets you know, put in print and everyone knows how awful she is. She's, she's, she is what is wrong with this world and full stop. It's her. It's all her. We should grab a beer though, bro. I love you. Jesus died for his church. He's coming back for his church. He laid down his life for his church. And in scripture, we see that we're called to be devoted to Jesus and his church. Matter of fact, 1 John says, we know that we love Jesus if we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, you want to know how you know if you love God? Do you love people? <laughs> Do you want to know if you've received that Jesus laid down his life for you? Do you love people and lay down your life for them? And so this series is designed to ask we were, where we are all at in our devotion is it time to renew our vows to Jesus and to his bride? And I want to say real quick, it's the summer. The summer gatherings are weird, okay? 
It's also another little mini wave of COVID, okay? So there's a group of people who aren't here. I'm not preaching this sermon targeting them, okay? Every, I'm, I'm going to be on vacation next week. Uh, th- we're going to be in and out during the summer. It's a weird time to teach on this. I, I, just deal with Jesus. I'm not targeting anyone, okay? If you haven't made gathering and church life a priority, that's you and Jesus, okay? I want to look at what the Bible says, uh, but I'm not targeting anyone. It's a weird time in the summer, okay? When we started gathering today, I was like, I think there's eight of us, and that's what we're doing. <laughs> this is a sad small group is what's happening. So, um, and it is what it is, okay? So, so here we go. So I want to read... Um, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This is after Jesus' resurrection. Uh, he ascends into heaven. He, he sends the early church leaders and the church to go be the church. Um, the Holy Spirit comes, and then it says, uh, it describes their life together. Famous verses, but profound picture of their life together. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It says, they've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the scriptures, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Guys, what do you think that word devoted means in Greek? What do you guys think it means? I think it's got blue letter Bible open. I'm going to blow your mind right now. It means devoted. (laughs) Can you say that you're devoted to the things that they were devoted to? Are you devoted to having your worldview shaped by scripture more than anything else? Like if scripture says something is right or wrong, that's what we roll with, not what society tells us. Are you devoted to the fellowship? Fellowship here is quinity. It's a little more complicated one. Uh, it, it means intimate connection, but, but often it's connected to intimate connection through hardship. Don't think fellowship hall like potluck. That's fine, but it's like potluck under persecution. Like you've been through some stuff. You've been through some trials together, but are you committed to one another even when there's trials happening? Can you say that you're devoted to being with one another? They are devoted to prayer. And as they devoted themselves to these things, stuff happens outside of them. Oftentimes, the church gets so caught up in fixing every problem that's out here, and it neglects what's in here. But in the kingdom, it's the inverse. If this is impacted, this will be impacted. It's, outside, it's inside out. It says, everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. By the way, this isn't like you have to sell everything you have and give it all away. This is, I'm going to make, it's, 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 it's not everyone having nothing. It's no one having nothing. So everyone's basic needs were met. Those who had more did generously give stuff away, sell stuff to raise money, to bless those who are in need. But this isn't like they, ha- they had nothing. It's the opposite. It's going, hey, no one in our community is going to like <laughs> fall, uh, fall into poverty on our watch and get, get left behind. Like we're working to help uh, our brothers and sisters. It says, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate food with joyful and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day, every day, every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, I find this fascinating because what precedes a bunch of people coming to know Jesus isn't slick marketing. They're being persecuted at the time. It's not a cool building. It's not even James Coffee, hot or cold brew. 
It's not the, ro- it's not the, the rock wall in the kids' ministry space. It's not the music. It's not, it's not the, the, the preaching uh, quality. It's like their life together bleeds out. Jesus said in John 13, by the way that you love one another, men and women will know that you're my disciples. So it was like their love for God and each other that made people go, whoa, what is this? In our society, people might think they know what church is, but I'm telling you, if they see this lived out, they're going to go, this is different than what I thought it was. And so today, what I want to talk about is this kind of devotion. I want to start this series on the, on the church by talking about what it means to commit yourself to a local body of believers. I want to talk about church membership. Uh, not the sexiest topic in the world these days, uh, but I think it's really, really, really important. So I want to answer three questions today about church membership. Number one, what is church membership? Number two, is church membership biblical? And number three, why is church membership important? Again, what is church membership? Is church membership biblical? And why is church membership important? All right, we're going to start with number one, what is church membership? And uh, in the words of Maria Orta, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I've I've got a definition for you. Church membership is the mutual commitment between an individual Christian and a local church body where members of that body commit to disciple one another, protect and provide for one another, and submit to King Jesus through the Bible and qualified elders and leaders. A couple key things about this definition. Number one, it's mutual. You choose where you want to belong, and the community receives that you belong. It's, it's mutual, okay? Uh, it's not a cult where you're forced into it, and you belong to a people. It's not just an organization. Now, uh, families have a level of organization, right? If you have a family that does not have a schedule, a budget, a mailing address, like, like it's hard to be a family. But what drives all that stuff, that stuff exists for the family, not the other way around. So there is an organization, but really it's a people. So it's mutual. You choose to be there. Um, the other word is um, submission. Uh, the word submit. How many of you guys like the word submit? Any, any submission fans in the house? No? All right. This, the word submit's always going to stand out and scare everyone. Uh, submission and authority are dirty words in our cultural moments. Uh, pretty much any structure in our society that says there is a right and a wrong way to do things, anything that says there is an objective truth or that there is a created order is being challenged. Anything that puts boundaries on what humans can or cannot do is being challenged. So here's the thing. We don't like people telling us what to do right? Uh, We don't like that because by nature we're rebellious people, right? So we are sinful. Number two, we're Americans. It's kind of like a big part of being American is, you know, kind of the Ben Stiller and Dodgeball. Nobody tells me how to live my life. (laughs) Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. (laughs) Not endorsing that movie, just full stop, I just realized. If you're a member, by the way, if you're a member of this church, not only are you a sinner, you're American, you're probably Protestant, okay? Which, that started by protesting the church, going, no, you're right? And the number four, a group of you guys are millennials, okay? This is ground zero for nobody tells me what to do. You have like 19 <laughs> presuppositions in your foundation for, for no one doing that. Now, here's the thing. Um, there is a type of authority that absolutely is tied to oppression, okay? Talked about this in recent weeks. That being said, there is an authority that leads to thriving, Okay? Uh, There are times where we need people to give us information we don't have to make good decisions. That's different than controlling your decision. I want to be really clear. But going, hey, this this is what the scriptures say about this. 
here's how you could wisely maybe go about this, is super important. Uh, we, we, we need that at work, whether we want to admit it or not, often. Um, uh, by the way, not everyone's boss could be an idiot. Uh, I feel like everyone's like, man, my boss, oh, right? Someone's boss knows what they're doing. <laughs> like, like, probably someone's does, okay? Everyone thinks the boss is an idiot until they're the boss, and then everyone thinks they're right. Um, parents, it's a huge level of authority. And again, but the authority exists for the benefit of those that are underneath that authority, to keep them safe, to help them, to protect them long enough to help them become who God's called them to be. But again, we got this idea that to submit to anything bigger than yourself, any framework is bad for you, and it's just not true. I was in a counseling fellows program with Redeemer Counseling Center um, out of New York City, and we talked about depression and anxiety uh, and how it's through the roof with Generation Z. And, uh, and that was well before the pandemic started. And one of the therapists said that a large part of that anxiety was connected to the pressure that th that generation feels to create an identity for themselves all the time. And not just an identity, an entire worldview to live out of, right? Remember in high school, you're like, man, I want to fit in. What am I going to do? What am I going to wear, right? I wore a pink polo shirt many days in high school with this pink face. <laughs> I was like, Kanye's doing it. I'm doing it, right? I wore a Laker hat to my prom. It's a diehard Celtics fan because it matched the tux. Shame-filled, shame right? Everyone wants to fit in and be cool. Now you've got to pick your gender, what's true and what isn't in life. Like, like, literally, you have to create an ethical framework for life at 12. And we wonder why people are worn down. You have to create, again, th there is a important part of maturing where you take a worldview that's handed to you and you tweak it and go based on my lived experience and based on some stuff I've seen and, and, and who gave it to me, like I might tweak some stuff. That's, that's part of differentiating becoming a healthy adult. That's different than I'm creating the entire foundation. I've got 5,000-ish years of human history where we've built a way of life and I have to create my own in between TikTok posts. It's exhausting, right? Because as a culture, we're, we're addicted to expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. Uh, I said that a few times. I want to define it real quick. Uh, Mark Sayers in his book, Disappearing Church, describes expressive individualism this way. And I want you to catch this. This is the ethical framework of social media right now. This is the ethical framework of both political parties right now. Okay? It's just who wins. Um, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. The highest good is individual freedom, happiness, self-definition and self-expression okay that's the highest good Two uh, traditions religions received wisdom regulations and social ties that restrict individual freedom happiness self-definition and self-expression must be reshaped deconstructed or destroyed the world will inevitably improve as the scope of individual freedom grows technology in particular the internet will motor this progression toward utopia Number four, and this is a really big one, the primary social ethic is tolerance of everyone's self-defined quest for individual freedom and self-expression. Any deviation from this ethic of tolerance is dangerous and must not be tolerated. Therefore, social justice is less about economic or class inequality and more about issues of equality relating to individual identity, self-expression, and personal autonomy. Number five, humans are inherently good. 
Six, large-scale structures and institutions are suspicious at best and evil at worst. Again, with progressives, it's big business is terrible. With conservatives, big government is terrible. Everyone hates the church. And number seven, forms of external, when the church tells you you're wrong. Number seven, forms of external authority are rejected and personal authenticity is lauded, okay? By the way, I hope you catch that with justice. It's do people affirm my feelings is your, your view of justice. Historically, justice is caring for the weak and the oppressed and the vulnerable. That's not telling me what I want to hear. Those are not the same thing. But expressive individualism says nobody tells me what to do. No one's going to stop me from doing me. It's rooted in this idea that no one makes me conform. No one makes me turn down the volume on my individualism for the greater good. The popularity of this worldview is being proclaimed to all of us all the time. It's why we now have movies winning awards that are more than subtly asking us to consider questions like, is it that bad when parents abandon their children if they feel unfulfilled and caring for those children? So to voluntarily choose to limit oneself and sacrifice for something or someone greater than ourselves is the ultimate heresy in our culture today. It's the blasphemy, uh, it's blasphemy in the culture of, of self-worship. So submission is a dirty word to us. But here's what I want you to catch is Jesus, over the course of his life, he submits himself over and over and over again. We know that Jesus, if he wanted to, could have done anything he wanted on this earth, and he didn't. He surrendered himself to the will of the Father. We see this, um, I mean, probably the, the, the wildest moment is Garden of Gethsemane. But if there's any other way, take this cup. I'm going to go bear wrath for the sin of the world. And, and, and the Father says no, and, and he goes, and he, and he does it. There is full equality in the Godhead. You believe Jesus is less than the Father, uh, you're an error, man. Like you're a heretic. I love you, but you're a heretic. I think the Holy Spirit's less. You know, uh, there's equality, but but there's submission to one another at different times. Um, what church membership is not? Okay, um, it's not an exclusive club you join based on superiority. All right. Uh, the only people allowed to become members are those who have humbled themselves to the point of seeing that Jesus is their only hope for a relationship with God. It's not people who are like, I'm epic, I'm religious, I'm self-righteous, where do I sign up? It's I needed a savior and I have one, and that savior's invited me into the church, which is his organization, not mine. So where's church membership in the Bible, okay? Uh, where's church membership in the Bible? Uh, point two, uh, this one will not be as long, but it's important. Christianity in the New Testament is not individualistic, okay? It is not expressive individualism. Much of the New Testament cannot be obeyed apart from other people, right? Uh, Maria talked about last week, the one another's, right? It's, it's hard to, um, uh, to practice the one another's with yourself. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, Let's see, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, in the context of Galatians, those who have put their faith in Jesus, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. How do you do that by yourself? Any ideas? Like, I know we're into self-care, but how do you do that whole thing all by yourself? 
forgive one another, mourn with one another, exhort one another daily, bear with one another. And so we're saved into a church. Jesus died for a corporate group of believers. He didn't just die for individuals. Western Christianity tends to really focus in on the individual, and there is individual accountability, but there's also an individual who's a part of something bigger than themselves. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus laid out, verses 13 to 20, for time's sake, I'm not going to read it, but it's when Jesus tells, you can write it down, look it up, if you want to talk about it, we can, I'm not dodging it. But it's when Jesus, most people believe, he institutes the universal church. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. This confession of who I am that Peter makes. On this idea of who Jesus is, he, he builds the church. And so the universal church is all Christians for all time. It's Sojourner Truth. It's Charles Spurgeon. It's St. Augustine. It's Mother Teresa. It's William Wilberforce. It's Tim Keller. It's Jackie O. Perry. It's Tom Logue. All places, all times. Uh, I was in Tunisia last month. I'll be in South Africa next month. That's all universal church. Brothers and sisters, different places and times that may or may not even be alive, okay? So there is a church that we all belong to, the Big C Church is what some people call it. But there's also the nature of the local church in the New Testament, okay? And this is where there's commands that I don't know how to obey with Mother Teresa, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 through 13. Or Tim Keller or Tom Logue right now. It says, For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside. God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. Now, this is a really intense verse, uh, but what I want you to catch here is Paul's saying, let's not allow. How many people have heard the church is full of hypocrites? Okay. Paul's like, here's how you end it. You ask hypocrites to, to leave or to change their ways. You don't let them say that they're a Christian and they, they hurt people and rip people off and oppress people and all that stuff. So when someone hurts someone or is living a, a blatant hypocritical life, we need to lovingly tell them they can't claim the name of Christ and live in hypocrisy. Yeah, and the church is like a hospital. And if you're acting self-righteous, like you're not sick, we don't have beds for you. In other words, does that make sense? It's like the beds are for the sick people. Can you imagine if, if a guy uh, was demanding a bed at a hospital when there were people who needed it? And they kept asking, hey, what's going on with you? And he's like, nothing. Nothing's wrong with me. I'm fine, right? And, and imagine they, they look back eventually somewhere and go, hey, man, hospital is, is for sick people. Jesus said, I'm a physician, and I came for the sick, not the already well. And so if you're going to be self-righteous and go, man, I don't need to change, it's like, well, this is a place for people who are in the process of changing, slowly but surely becoming like Jesus. Like, we don't have anything to offer you if you don't need to change. And so those people, he says, you might ask them to leave. Now, I don't want to get too zero in on that idea around the passage. What I want you to catch is, is how do you ask someone to leave a thing that doesn't exist? How do you ask someone to leave the universal church? Right? How do I, how do I push a, a disobedient Tunisian believer out of my community? Right? Uh, the answer is you can't. Um, that there are local expressions. One uh, commentator calls them like embassies like local expressions of that big C church. So it's, it's the community of believers, the local community of believers where you currently follow Jesus. Does that make sense? Um, again, and, and so uh, super important. Again, it's like members or parts of a body. Don't think like members of Costco or uh, a yoga gym or, uh, or something like that. Um, that's consumerism, where you pay and receive benefits. This is um, a body where, where your presence matters. It impacts the rest of the body. Another way to look at it is like family. 
Um, if you, I don't know if you guys have ever gone through the Emotionally Healthy Relationships curriculum with Peter Scazzaro. Uh, super helpful. They have a section on um, um, managing expectations. And they talk about a valid expectation and an invalid expectation. And, and they talk about how in relationships, oftentimes relationships are damaged when someone doesn't live up to expectations we have never asked them to live up to. And on the flip side, um, you can get really bummed out if people aren't living up to the expectations you've never asked. Um, but also you can feel frustrated, like, I can never live up to these expectations. So if you think about members of a family, they have to chat through their expectations. If you're in a family where you don't talk through expectations, it gets messy all the time. Why did you do that thing I didn't ask you to do? Like, why the attitude? You didn't even tell me. Why should I have to tell you? You know, you go on and on and on. Uh, but in other words, in a healthy family, you should be able to depend on the other members of the family. Like, you know when they'll be home. You know if, the, if they will be home. Um, you know when they're away and when they're there. D does that make sense? Uh, you've agreed to work together to, to do something. And so, so is membership biblical? A uh, key idea here is the Bible assumes through choice and commitment you can know who you are married to. Have you guys ever thought about that? The Bible never says, here's how to know you're married to someone. Have you ever noticed that? There's commands on what married people do. It doesn't say ceremony, ceremony with a pastor, ceremony indoors, ceremony outdoors, ceremony with great food, ceremony with bad food, ceremony with bad food you told all your friends was going to be good food and then it wasn't. I'm not going to name it, just kidding. Long ceremony, short ceremony, ceremony, on and on it goes. Uh, it just assumes through choice and commitment you can obey the verses about being a husband or being a wife, which you can only do if you know who you're married to. Some people are like, I'm anti-church membership. It's legalistic. It's like, are you anti-wedding ceremonies? Are you anti-people knowing who they're married to? Again, it's just saying, hey, I'm, I'm choosing you and committing to you. And then last question, why is church membership important? Why is church membership important? Um, the first one is uh, three little sub-reasons. The first one is the leader's shepherding. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Relax, this isn't my favorite verse or anything. Okay. <laughs> if you're new, I've almost never read this. <laughs> Once three years ago, maybe. Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. So, so leaders need to know, uh, if I'm going to give an account for souls, I need to know who those souls are. I don't know about you. Talk about the ultimate <laughs> expectation situation with God. Um, who am I going to be accountable for? And so leaders know who, who they're going to give uh, an account to one day. Now, again, if your view of churches, which isn't a New Testament view, uh, church is just like a, an arena show you go to each week. And no one knows anybody. Okay? I don't think membership makes sense, honestly. It's like if you don't actually know the people, if the, if the leaders can't shepherd the people, um, I don't know what we're doing. Does that make sense? Um, but if it's a place where you grow and you're being discipled and you're being encouraged to grow spiritually and relationally, um, that's really important. Also for you all um, to know who, how do you obey Hebrews 13, 17? Maybe some of you guys are like, again, sinful American millennial. We don't, right? Um, but, but, but let's just say you wanted to have leaders to look to for leadership. Who, who do you look to as a Christian? There's a lot of weird guys on TV, right? There's a lot of weird stuff on YouTube, people that claim to be leaders. Uh, is anyone who, who, who claims to be a leader, are they your leader, right? If you bumped into like a Pentecostal pastor at Vons, right? So that's your guy now, right? It's important. 
And the answer is no, through choice and commitment. Hey, I've asked these people to shepherd us and lead us. Uh, The second reason is the member's discipleship. The member's discipleship. Hebrews 3.13 says, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deception. Again, obeying Jesus, there's 59 one another passages in the New Testament. You can't one another yourself. You can only one another other people. But here's the other thing. Um, so, so we need uh, encouragement uh, daily. Hebrews 3 says that we're deceived by sin daily. That means that you and I, again, we drift. Within a day, we can lie to ourselves. And we need other people to remind us of what's true daily. Okay? Now, who does that to you? Who do you look to? Who knows you well enough to actually challenge you where sin's deceiving you? That's not something that can be done in a generic way if you're watching a video of a Bible teaching. Because it's not just Bible teaching. It's I know you and the lies you personally believe because we're in relationship long term. So I can look in the eyes and go, hey, I think we're doing, I think that thing's happening again. You go, you know what? I think, I think it is. And you can do the same with me. This is a classic Andy situation. I'm believing that lie again that I have to blank. And I actually don't have to do that. That's actually not at stake. Here's the truth. Um, Again, if you go big C, right, if you're responsible to disciple every Christian in the world, you're going to burn out. You can't, you can't disciple everyone in this church. Okay, never mind. So if you have to exhort everyone daily, again, there's a, there's a group of people, choice and commitment. And then lastly, and the most important reason, is Jesus' glory. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. We represent Jesus to the world, the Bible says. In the Old Testament, Israel failed, and then Jesus came and he showed us who God was, and he commissioned the church to reveal God to the world. But our ability to do that is always connected to each other. Again, John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not men will know you by how much you pray and sing worship songs. But when, men, but when men and women see you love each other, they see commitment to one another. When they see people who, have, who are different and they have very little in common other than Jesus, they couldn't be more different other than Jesus loving each other. And they see you allowing yourself to be inconvenienced by other people. Again, we inconvenience Jesus. And when they see us resolving conflict that's messy and awkward and uncomfortable, It reminds them that Jesus never leaves me or forsakes me. And when they see me forgive one of my brothers or sisters, that reminds them that Jesus forgives me all the time. When they watch us be generous and and share our stuff with one another, they can see that Jesus is generous to us. Again, people can see Jesus' glory through the way we treat each other in the church. According to Jesus, they'll start to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Close with one verse, Acts 20, 28. It's the Apostle Paul, and he's talking to these leaders of the Ephesian church. And he says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. My prayer is that you'll start to see the church the way Jesus sees the church and value the church the way that he values the church. And a love for her were builds 
and the church is really broken, but she's being loved into someone beautiful. And so in closing, I, I, I want to put this before you and just ask you, where are you at in your own relationship to the church? So there's relationship to Jesus, but where are you at in relationship to the church? And some of you guys can be in different spaces. Uh, some of you guys, uh, if you're honest, um, you've used the church. By the way, if you're a Christian, the church is you. That's another thing we have to like clarify a lot. But, but maybe you view the church as like a place that meets needs for you and gives you things and blesses you and cares for you, and you don't really bless or give or, or, or commit to, to anyone else. Does that make sense? Uh, there's kind of this ongoing trope that, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work in the church, and that's often true in a lot of churches. I think we're a little bit better than that, but still there's some people who, who, who do a lot because others aren't down to. Um, is there someone that maybe you've hurt, like, like you've, you've hurt the church, you've caused division, or you, you hurt a, a, someone in a relationship, and maybe you need to apologize to them or ask for forgiveness? So some of you guys need to confess. Some of you guys need to um, cast yourself onto Jesus for healing. Some of you, it's the opposite. You've been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by people who, who claim the name of Jesus. And in 1 John, when it says, they'll know that you, uh, in 1 John, he says, if you want to know if you love God, it's, it's, it's watch how you love one another. Um, there were people who said they loved God, and they did not love you at all. Maybe they hurt you, or they slandered you, they rejected you, they gossiped about you, they excluded you. And you're like, you know what, man, I, I honestly can't even fathom it's a miracle that I'm in this service right now. And if that's you, I just want to say um, we'd love to chat. Um, we'd love to hear your story. Um, whenever you're ready to do that, by the way, there's no pressure to do that. In any, take time to build trust, to feel safe here. But I just want to say as a pastor to you, as someone who loves the church, I also want to say the church can be incredibly broken and flawed. And there are also people who claim to be Christians who just aren't but it doesn't change the fact that you connect that to Jesus internally. And I want to say it's okay and there's time to heal. And then lastly, for those of you who are here and you're like, you know what, I, I, I don't feel like I'm in a space where I've, I've much to confess about the church. I don't think I've used the church. I, I think I, I want to, to grow and I want to connect. And, and, and you know what, I don't think I've been like deeply wounded by the church. Um, but I actually want to commit. Like I want to be a part, uh, you know, uh, I'd encourage you to, to, to start exploring that with Jesus as well over the course of this series. And Father, I just lift up this church to you and the men and women visiting this church, this local outpost of the kingdom of God. And um, for those who are here, um, they, they all need different things. Uh, some of them, they, if they're honest, they do need to be honest about the fact that they have uh, used the church or they've, um, they've treated church like a consumer, like they kind of bounce around from church to church for different programs or services or whatever that they like, but, but they haven't seen the church as a family to commit to. Again, we would never bounce around to different families to, to meet different needs we have. We, we accept a family with the good and the bad that comes with it. And so God, for those who've been in that space, Lord, would you, would you bring us to a space of repentance? Um, for those of us who haven't prioritized the church, that's not everyone here, surely, but for some, they, they could honestly, you know what, I, I haven't made this a priority. I've made a, a million other things a priority. If I'm honest, um, Jesus' bride hasn't been one of them. 
Again, I pray you would just bring us to a space of repentance. Uh, for those who are here and it's the other side of the coin, they've been deeply hurt by the church. Maybe they used to give themselves to the church very enthusiastically. And they believe that Jesus was at work amongst a group of people, and maybe that group of people hurt them deeply. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower them and free them up to know that they don't need to heal in a second, in a day, in a week. Pray, God, that they would know that they can go on a journey in this area. Whenever, we, we, whenever trust is broken in a relationship, it takes time to rebuild trust wisely. And for some, they've got a relationship with the church. They need to rebuild trust. Where really, they, just, they only trust you as they rebuild trust. And so, God, if, if, if that's people here, God, I just pray that you'd begin, begin or continue a process of healing, allowing themselves to be needy, allowing themselves to trust, but at the right time, with the right people, whether it's in this community or somewhere else. But I just claim Psalm 34, 18, that, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, to those who are crushed in spirit, those who've been crushed or hurt by church or church communities. I just pray prayers of safety and grace and presence and peace and patience with themselves but I simultaneously pray that you would bring people around them. Think about um, Jackie Hill Perry just said that one time, uh, you know, you know who, who cured my church hurt? It was the church. That we need a corrective experience, some of us, with believers who aren't going to do what was done to us. They'll sin, they'll let us down, but not like that. Not like abuse. Not like oppression. People who dignify our humanity people who hug us when we fail, minister grace to us when we sin. They don't give us quick answers when we're in pain. And so God, I just pray you would do that in people's hearts. And that you would use this community to be a corrective experience for some. And then lastly, Father, for those who are here, who they're ready like, to commit to the church more. Like they, they really do. They're like, you know what? I, I want to do that whether it's this or, or another one, I pray, God, that you give them the right church and the right space and place at the right time, and they, would, they really would give themselves in a healthy, beautiful way to a community. Not taking on more than a human should, but, but being willing to sacrifice for the good of a brother or sister, following your spirit as you create spaces for us to love one another. As we go to communion, we're here and we've taken for granted or hurt your church we thank you that you died to forgive us for that or if we're here and we've got wounds thank you that you died to heal our wounds not just forgive us of our sins but heal our wounds and I also thank you that you died not just to forgive us not just to heal our wounds but also to empower us to follow you to empower us to love and commit ourselves to others in Jesus' name, amen.